Welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast from Wales Online. Hello and welcome to the Welsh Rugby Podcast from Wales Online. My name's Matt Southgoom and this morning I'm joined by Simon Thomas in Edinburgh Airport, Si. Yes, there's a few sore heads here this morning, Matt. Uh, not me and you, I'd like well, to add. Of course, some experienced journalists like my good self stayed in the hotel last night uh, going through the tape of the game. Tape, it makes me sound old, doesn't it? And uh, it's fair to say it didn't make better viewing second time around. And really, it confirmed what we kind of said to each other in the press box after the game. Two key things. Wales, missed opportunities and fragile wide defence. 29-13 defeat, not good. Yeah, just like the point out, we are in the airport, so if an announcement goes up, I do apologise, but we'll just uh, play it by ear and see how it goes. Um, so as we mentioned, they lost 29-13 at Murrayfield, and in the end it was quite comfortable for Scotland, but the one moment the Welsh fans are talking about this morning and last night was uh, in the 51st minute when Wales' Alwyn Jones said he wanted the three points. Afterwards, we found out that apparently the kickers didn't want it. A penalty at the time would have drawn Wales level at 16-all. Um, they didn't kick the penalty. They went to the corner, got penalised at the line-out, and then Scotland just took control of the game from there. It's a bit of an interesting situation, sorry. I've looked at the incident in detail two or three times, and it's very clear, as soon as the penalty is awarded to Wales for Finn Russell crossing off a defensive scrum, Alan Wynne-Jones points straight to the post. Dan Bigger then has the ball in his hands and he's shouting across to Al, hang on Al, do you want to go for the corner? You can just about hear Alan Jones saying no kick. Bigger then comes back with the ball, obviously to give it to Lee Halfpenny. It seems then that there's a word between Lee Halfpenny and Alan Jones. One only, can only presume that Lee Halfpenny didn't feel confident of getting the kick. He had missed one just before half-time, but, you know, uncharacteristically. Also dropped a ball early in the second half. Maybe his confidence was slightly affected at that point. Anyway, uh, Alan Wynne-Jones, his kickers, as he said, decided they didn't want to do it, particularly, it seems, Lee Halfpenny. So, as a result, uh, Wales went to the corner. Bit of a kerfuffle then, because John Lacey was initially saying, no, you've indicated a kick at goal, you, you can't change your mind. Then something else was said, and Lacey was con- convinced that they could change their mind. It was a real old uh, Keystone Cops moment. Anyway, they kicked to the corner, and uh, we went for one of those old Gatlin-style Mass line-out drives with 14 players. I think I was, me and you were the only Welshman not involved in that drive. Uh, but it went all rather badly wrong. There's the old Tannoy. It went all badly wrong. Um, Alan jones himself actually was, was done for obstruction in, in front of a Sam Warburton who took the line-out penalty to Scotland. Chance went. And uh, we have the birth of Kickgate. Kickgate, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Alan jones has come in for criticism. Um, Yesterday and today, from fans and, and pundits alike, um, many questioning his, his captaincy, you know, and the way that decision came about. But I, I sort of feel like the, that everybody should be looking elsewhere. I mean, at the end of the day, I think it was Johnny Wilkinson who said that the kicking is, is is all about psychology. And and if if you turn to your kicker, the first thing you want him to say is, "Yes, Skip, give me the ball. I want to kick it." And if there is a shred of doubt that your kicker isn't comfortable, I don't think you can go for it. And if, if he turned, like you mentioned, Lee Halfpenny might have been a bit low on confidence at the time. He dropped that sitter, he'd missed that kick just before half time. And you just wonder if Halfpenny said to him, I'm not sure, 
then that that almost makes up your decision if you're a captain. Even though you may want to go for the post, if your kicker's not sure, I don't think you can. And, and you know, they went to the corner and then the line out went and so on and so forth. But I think people need to be more concern, concerned about the fact that Lee Halfpenny didn't feel like he could go for that shot at goal, which wasn't a particular, you know, it wasn't a straightforward one, but it's the kind of one you've seen him bang over time and time again. Yeah, it was wide out on the left, probably, you know, six or seven metres in from touch. I think it was near the 22. It's the kind of kick you've seen him kick time and time again. I suppose the interesting thing, one thing Alan Williams possibly could have done is then said, well, Dan, do you fancy it? Yeah. But it seemed as soon as his regular, his, you know, his frontline kicker didn't fancy it, it was a kick to the corner. It's a difficult one for the captain, you know. If your kickers say they don't fancy it, but Alan made it quite clear in the press conference afterwards that he, he would have liked to have go through the three points. He didn't get the impression he was too enamoured by the situation, Matt, did you? No, well, that's the problem. I mean, like we said, this isn't showing him, you know, like I said, he's getting criticism. He's not being shown in a great light here. It's a big year with the Lions and all that coming up. And uh, do you think he's concerned about how this reflects on his captaincy? No, I think he's a very strong character. I think he will just, his main concern would be that it, it didn't go Wales' way and Wales lost the game. That would be his abiding thing. I suppose what you can say is you had the incident of the England game, didn't you, where there was um, a, a kick up a penalty and Wales went for a scrum on the back of not having had any scrum super, uh, supremacy and actually got penalised there. So um, I think, you know, in the Ireland game, if there's a kickable penalty, he'll, he'll be getting the, the old uh, thumb screws out and you will be taking yes. this kick. Uh, yeah, but I mean, listen, that was an, it was an important moment. It would have brought Wales level, but as we'll go on to talk about now, it wasn't why Wales lost the game. No, I mean, it, it, like I mentioned, after that um, that moment, Scotland sort of begin to take, began to take control of, of the game and control the final half hour, kicking penalties and scoring tries. Um, what, what will concern... Rob Howley the most I think is the way that Wales lost control of that game because in the first half they weren't they weren't massively on top but they weren't under any real pressure from Scotland they were comfortable in the game they hadn't taken chances and they probably weren't as far ahead as they should have been but the way that Scotland took control of that second half was was pretty alarming yeah I mean Wales really could quite uh, you know deservedly have had a 16-6 lead at half time Halfpenny, as you said, missed a kick from 40 metres quite well Why you'd often expect him to get that. And then Scotland scored a penalty right at the end. So rather than being 16-6, a good 10-point cushion, it was 13-9. So it was always a little bit flaky at half-time in terms of the length of the lead. But Wales had had the better of the first half, <clears throat> and there was every reason to be confident. But the second half is a very different story. I think you know a key moment in that game was the change at number seven for Scotland. It happened quite soon after Wales scored their one try through Liam Williams. Hamish Watson came on for John Hardy. I was amazed that Watson hadn't started. I thought he'd been one of Scotland's best players in the first two games. They went for Hardy's press defensive organisation, but I thought it increasingly, as the game went on with Watson on the field, he started to wreck the Welsh breakdown. In the first half, um, you know, the, the, listen, the breakdown was a mess throughout the game, right? But there were a few occasions in the first half where, where Wales profited um, on opposition ball. Uh, Sam Warburton won two breakdown penalties, and right at the end of the half, um, Justin Tipperick stole possession after making a try saving tackle. So Wales were doing okay on defensive ball. They were shoved off their own ball a couple of times, counter ruck, but it was, it, you know, it was, they were edging the first half overall. Second half, the breakdown became a complete. Well, bedlam, absolute bedlam. And Watson, Watson was outstanding in that second half. And I'll tell you now, Matt, that young man, I wouldn't be surprised to see him on the Lions tour. Yeah, I mean, the breakdown did become a bit of a mess. I'm not sure Mr Lacey helped things in that facet either, but um, 
you mentioned Warburton there. He had a, a standout first half, winning a couple of turnovers. I remember a few occasions in the second half where he was sort of clamped down on the ball and he was sort of looking at Mr Lacey and saying, any more I can do here, sir? And then before he was cleared out by about three or four Scots. Well, there was one instance in particular, I remember thinking, Warburton and his hands on the ball for about five or six seconds. What more can he do, you know? And... Uh, you know, whereas Watson got on the ball in two or three seconds, and it was a penalty. You know, it, it, Mr. Lacey is an interesting referee. We have him in, in the Pro 12 regularly, and it, it did seem that uh, he refereed the breakdown slightly differently in the second half. But you know, you get away with what you get away with in the breakdown, and Mr. Watson. Uh, I think the phrase is elementary <laughs> yeah you were singled out in the press conference afterwards as well by Alan Wynne Jones as being the man who sort of wrecked the breakdown for Wales and really took the game away from them and stopped them really trying to play um, could Rob Howley have been a little bit braver with his substitutions And I mean this has become this is becoming an issue now because we saw in the England game he used them too early with Faletau bringing off Moriarty the, the feeling after this for me is that the game was clearly moving away from Wales midway through that second half and instead of waiting until the game is lost to bring on Sam Davis and waiting until later on to bring on Faletau, maybe you should be bringing these guys on in the 50th minute trying to change the game. I would imagine he's second guessing his substitutions a bit at the moment you know he's the devil you do you know he's going to be damned if he does damned if he doesn't and uh it didn't particularly work again in this game. I thought really the only sub that made much of an impact for me was Luke Charteris. He looked fresh and you know he carried well and he got involved. Um, Sam Davis wasn't able to exert much of an influence on the game. But by the time that Sam came on, Wales were very much on the back foot. Possession was being dominated by Scotland. And I think we, we talked about it before. It is a bit of a problem. in this. You can change your fly half. But if you got outside backs who are used to playing in one particular style of outside half, when you have a different type of outside half, it's going to be tricky. Bottom line is that with Dan Bigger, your backs tend to sit a bit deeper. Mm. Sam Davis likes to play right on the line, flat passes. He looks to do that, and yet his backs aren't in that position because they're attuned to playing with a different type of fly half. Mm. So if you're going to play Sam Davis, then you really need to be sort of on the same wavelength as him, and it didn't happen. Uh, and really our subs weren't able to make much of an influence on the game uh, and you just felt, didn't you? And when it got to about 60, 63 minutes, Wills had had a few chances at them, they hadn't taken them and once Tim Visser scored Scotland's second try, it was all gone and to be honest it was quite horrible watching that last 20 minutes because Wales were really ragged by that stage. Yeah, let's not let's not dress dress this up at all. It was a very very poor second half from us. In my opinion, you know, you can't take anything away from Scotland because if if the shoe was on the other foot, we'd be sat here saying, well, you can only beat what's in front of you, but Wales did everything they could to lose that game in the second half. But like I said, you've got to credit Scotland. They scored some good tries. They did. You know, it's been 10 years of hurt for them against Wales. Um, 2007, the last time you were probably in school then, Matt, weren't you? Oh, yeah, it was. <laughs> it was, uh, that, was a, that was a desperate day, and yesterday was another one. What worries me is the last two games, England and Scotland, in the second halves, Wales have scored the grand total of three points. Now, I don't think that's a fitness issue. It's just for some reason, in both games, the momentum has been lost. Actually, against England, they, they, they were still you know, really gutsy and really determined. You couldn't question their attitude, their attitude and effort in that second half. And I don't think it was an attitude problem yesterday. They just looked all over the place. Mm. You know, and once they were, were unable to get any ball, they didn't seem to have any ideas. And I think the biggest thing, the biggest contrast, 
was in the attacking, especially in that second half. You can pinpoint two or three chances Wales had, just weren't able to take them. Whereas Scotland, only had a couple of real clear-cut chances, but they were really precise. You know, Wales were as blunt as Malcolm Tucker in attack in that second half, where uh, Scotland were as sharp as a very sharp wee thing. And uh, they were lovely tries to watch, except they were scored against Wales. <laughs> How do you... Um, this, is, this must be a very troubling time for Rob Howley now, because, I mean, this, this effectively is, is a trial, regardless of what the hierarchy might say. This is a trial for him when Gatlin leaves... Um, when his contract is up, you know he, he's the next one in line. Um, but as we've mentioned now, he's been shown up at times now to make the wrong decisions at the wrong time, and Wales are struggling under him. And should he be concerned about how this is beginning to reflect on him? Can 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 he come back from this? Sat in that press conference as you did yesterday, Matt, and watched his body language. I thought that was a man who pretty much knew that he wasn't going to be the next permanent Wales coach. This, as you say, was a trial. It's not gone that well, really. Three wins in the autumn, but it didn't convince in the terms of the way Wales played. Now, three games played in the Six Nations, only one win against a very poor Italian team, two defeats. Very difficult games to come against Ireland at home, and Ireland are a strong team at the moment, and then away to the juggernaut French. You could well see Wales coming out this tournament with just one win in five. And it's very, very hard to see now what Howley can do in terms of, you know, staking a claim for that job. I, I just, you just don't see it happening for him now. Mm. And you know, from a purely human point of view, I felt a bit sorry for him in the press conference yesterday. He works very hard. He wants to do well, but it's not happening for him with this Wales team. And it's brought cruel, isn't it? Yeah, it doesn't. It's not looking great. I mean, everyone was pointing at. Out that um, after the game, you know, you look at Eddie Jones bringing off Dylan Hartley after whatever it was at Cardiff, 50, 42 minutes or something like that. I don't care if you're my captain; you're not playing well. Somebody else is coming on who'll have a better impact than you. And it just it just feels like it's like you said he's, he he doesn't know whether to stick or twist at the moment with his substitutes, and I think he's just beginning to get a bit lost in that. But I think looking forward now, sorry, where, where do we where do Wales go? With this selection policies, etc., for the remaining games of the Six Nations, I mean, he was asked the question in the press conference um, wh- whether it's now a chance to blood some youngsters, and he he pointed out that Wales will respect the Six Nations Championship, which says to me that they're just going to try and win. You know, they, they're not seeing this as a development couple of weeks now. They're still very much in this to win the, the remaining two games. Yeah, I asked him the question and I kind of knew he was going to say something like that. He wasn't going to reveal what his team against Play Island was going to be. But everyone's going to be an amateur selector over the next two weeks now, you know, ourselves included. And uh, I think realistically, after the way it went yesterday, you, you would have to say that it's time for some changes in terms of the attacking game. Um, Although the breakdown was a major problem, you know, you've got three quality back row forwards there. Falato maybe might start now against Ireland, I mean, just to get him, you know, his quality on the field. And I guess Moriarty would be the one to step down. You know, he did some very good things yesterday, but, you know, it was always going to be a, um, a close call there. Um, but in the back division, there are people who are in form this season for their regions and people who are pressing for selection. And I think there will be a clamour now and an understandable one for maybe Sam Davis to come in. wasn't able to exert much influence um, when he came on and people will, will question him, well, how many big teams has he done it against this season? Because maybe some of the bigger games, Dan Bigger still starts at 10 for the Ospreys. Mm. 
but you know he's done everything he can do in terms of the way he's performed and he does offer something different in terms of the way he takes the ball to the line bring backs into play with his distribution you know threatening with it through the hands or threatening with his own breaks so there's a case for him to start at 10 um, I think certainly a case for Steph Evans to come in into the back three um, George North had a difficult day defensively missed a couple of tackles um, was found uh, short for the second try although that was largely done to some lovely hands from Stuart Hogg which kind of took him out of the equation and put Visser outside North but you know Sean Edwards spoke last week about how North's defence has improved but there were still issues with it yesterday Um, you wonder whether it is time I know Howley doesn't seem to believe this is the way forward for Wales but Liam Williams plays his best rugby and is most influential at fullback. He does well. He's got another try yesterday as well on the wing. You know, he's a candidate for a Lions test wing spot. But I think from an attacking perspective, he just offers that much more again with his counter-attacking from fullback, which is the modern game, as you see from Stuart Hogg and from other fullbacks. So there's a big argument for going for um, Liam uh, at fullback, maybe Steph Evans coming in. And then you could even argue for someone like Keelan Giles to come into the side. Probably won't happen. You know, he's not actually in the squad at the moment. But that back three is not really firing, to be honest with you. Lee Halfpenny isn't really offering a huge amount in an attacking sense. There was a bit of a confidence issue with his goal kicking yesterday. Um, so that, there's a case for a shake-up there. And uh, Owen Williams, I think, is somebody else who, who could well come into the 23, just offer something different in terms of a second decision-making option at 12 maybe with Scott Williams moving out um, to 13 would be another option uh, and another guy outside the squad who really deserves to be given a consideration is Ashley Beck he's played really well and again offers something different in an attacking sense whether it'll happen that's another issue altogether because Howley has stressed the experience time and again this championship but that was really with a view to trying to win the title that's gone now yeah. we have to be looking forward now and looking for more attacking options because at the moment we are not delivering with ball in hand we are not creating enough and we're not scoring enough tries and the, in this modern bonus point age of rugby where we talk about you needing 25 30 points to win rugby matches we ain't cutting it yeah. does that do you think this has something to do with the fact that but you know by the time the the, tour, the summer tour comes around wales will have had was it three or four different attack coaches in 18 months yeah. You know, this is the this is a national coaching job. This isn't just some club rugby side that you can pop in and out of. It, you know, this needs serious questioning now. Why, why does this? They see this as acceptable to bring in these coaches and in a, you know, like Alex King has been here for a few few weeks. You've had Matt Sherratt. You know, let's look at it. Rob Howley last summer in New Zealand. Matt Sherratt in the autumn. Alex King now. It'll be Stephen Jones in the summer for the South Seas Tests, right? Yeah. How can you possibly build any kind of continuity in an attacking sense when you've got that? The Lions attack coach is in the coaching team, but is now in an overseeing role. Yeah. What is the attack game? The players must be so confused. Yeah. You know, we spoke to John Davis, didn't you? I think yourself and heard what he had to say. It wasn't quite a lack of clarity. You know, maybe, maybe greater clarity now, but the trouble is the execution just isn't there. They were. There were line breaks yesterday. Yeah. You know, you think back to Jonathan Javis cutting through after 48 minutes, I think it was. Pops the ball up, perhaps just a little bit of a, you know, too harsh for Rhys Webb to take. The chance goes. Rhys Webb just misses out in the corner. I mean, there was a couple of other line breaks which he just weren't able to execute and finish off. Uh, there were too many loose passes. 
too many forced offloads when perhaps it wasn't the right moment, um, too many spilt balls, and at international level, when you get the chances, you can't afford those mistakes. Mm. Now, how much of that is down to an attack coach? And how much of that is down to the individual players? That's the bit that's tricky to understand. But, but the continuity aspect, we can all see that that's not going to be ideal. Mm. Um, we're in Edinburgh Airport, as we mentioned, saying it. There's branding up everywhere for the Lions and Standard Life and Warren Gatland's faces plastered all around this. And, and Mr Gatland was at the game yesterday. Um, his face flashed up on the big screen a few times, particularly in that second half. Um, how do you think he will have viewed that game? You know, you look at the wings, for example, and if you had an alien came down yesterday and watched that game and you said, all right, point out the Lions wingers there, you ain't going to point at George North, he's going to point at Tim Visser, oddly enough. You know, that's not what we're used to experiencing. So how do you think Gatlin would have ex- viewed that game yesterday? It's an odd one because he would probably be looking at that Wales-Scotland game and going into it maybe thinking that in terms of Certainly Lions test players, they'd be more in red shirts that he'd be watching. Mm. But he'd come away, really, with the players who would have impressed him would have been blue-shirted players. That's great for Scottish rugby, and it might mean quite a few of them getting on the Lions tour. But they, you wouldn't really see many of them, perhaps beyond Stuart Hogg, being test team candidates, and really the test team is everything. And there are key Welsh players who you would have thought maybe going into this year, they're going to be key Lions men, the likes of George North, you know, perhaps Tulupe Falato as well, Alwyn Jones. And at the moment, on the basis of that game yesterday, they weren't really standing out as Lions test players. Falato's hardly played. We talked about George North's uh, injuries, uh, George North's um, defensive issues. So it's a concern. Um, you know, you've got to take the positives out of it in terms of the likes of Hamish Watson have come through Hogg looks excellent two Scottish wingers Seymour and Visser both stood up really well you know Hugh Jones looks an exciting 13 um, and then in the second row the, the Grey brothers you know carry all day work all day long um, John Barkley such a consistent player but how many of those realistically would be test team candidates you know for the New Zealand not too many so you know I think at the moment it, if you're picking that Lions test team, there's going to be a lot of English and a lot of Irish and not so many Welsh. Yeah. All right, so yeah, just just quickly want to finish. I hope you enjoyed your time up in Edinburgh. It's always uh, nice to come up to this part of the world. Beautiful city. Always a lovely place to come. Always some interesting characters you meet along the way. Uh, we had a few boys from West Wales on our plane with them, oh. with us, and uh, they, were, they were quite large in it up and... Uh, just walking back to the hotel last night, I saw them out, all outside uh, a hostelry, all with uh, unusual costumes on, shall we say. <laughs> and uh, I, I hope they're not on our plane going back. <laughs> you, you and me both. Anyway, all right, I think we leave it there for now. Um, thank you, Value Money's worth out of us today. Uh, don't forget, you can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. Head over there and search for the Welsh Rugby Podcast, and then you can take us on the go with you. Um, there's going to be more fallout from this defeat throughout the week, even though you know there's no game next Saturday, but we'll continue to uh, pick the bones out of what was a, a dark day at Murrayfield for Wales on Wales Online.